I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Now, no side has won more awards and more trophies in the last few years than Manchester City. And last week, we brought you part one of our interview with former City defender Nader Manua. Nader spoke about how he came through at the club from the days of Main Road to the glory at the Etihad. But when we left the conversation, he was just getting stuck into exactly why he and Roberto Mancini never really saw eye to eye. When I was going through that stuff at City, I hated him. But something he has, which I can never question, is that he brought success to Man City. That breakdown in relationship between Anua and the Manchester City boss meant he moved on in the season they won that famous 2012 Premier League title. He joined QPR, and as fate would have it, he was on the pitch the very moment Sergio Aguero scored that iconic goal. I was the last QPR player to touch the ball before Aguero scored and I had a throw in, thinking, please, someone tackle someone. Oh my God. And I thought, I've just relegated my team with the last kick of the season at the place which I used to call home. One of the most historical moments in Premier League history. And talking of football icons, Nader Manua finished his career in the MLS and ended up going toe-to-toe with one of the game's most notorious strikers. My first time playing against him, for 45 minutes he was sound, no dramas. If he's not playing well, he likes to start fights with people, so he chose me that day. With the MLS, most people, when he starts fight, he just, they just back down, but I was not backing down. You can hear part one of our conversation with Nader Manua by hitting the link in the description or just by scrolling back in the timeline. But here is part two of our chat with the former Manchester City defender. I would say about Mancini. Is he quite a, a polarising manager where you don't really know where you stand with him? Is he very communicative? Um, I don't think he communicates very well, but you do know where you stand because you're either playing or you're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. Some people know where they're playing. Some people know where they're sitting for a game. Some people know they're sitting in the stands as well. And I sort of fell into um, into that spot of just being out of it. You know what I mean? And it was, it was probably a tough spot for everyone because... For context, he was the first manager that the football club under the new ownership hired. So Marcuse was there, mm-hmm. but Mancini was the one they selected. And it felt like they gave him the keys to the club. And, you know, when you see a team win an FA Cup and a league, like it's tough to say that he didn't do a good job. I think he probably could have stayed longer if he was more personable. But then ultimately, maybe he wouldn't have won anything if he was. So there's always this sort of like trade-off. But he is a bit polarising amongst people who worked with him because... He was one of the few managers where a lot of people really didn't like him. It was and like it, the situation with him and Carlos Tevez, wasn't it? Yeah. Where he didn't come, want to come off the bench during yeah, the Champions but that, League Was that game. when Tevez just played golf for played six golf months? Golf yeah. Yeah. For but, six that's, months. but that's a mad one in itself, though, because like Carlos Tevez is loved by all the people that played with him. Yeah. And the, the way that story sometimes gets interpreted, it's not that's not him because he wants to play. Here's my take for you on this, yeah, and it could be wrong. And if there's anyone who's involved, like please feel free to come on the show and talk about it. <laughs> But Roberto was very particular about warm-ups, like exceedingly particular, yeah. 
and he's like the antithesis of a normal coach because when I was first coming through, they'd always send people to go and warm up. But if the seven year on the bench, the senior ones would warm up whenever they wanted to. The youngsters would be out there the whole time. And I could have been out warming up for 20 minutes. I'm good to go. Like stick a fork in me. I'm like, I'm ready, yeah? And then the manager might say to some of the old guys on the bench, oh, come on, you're coming on now. Are you ready? And they'll say, yeah. Because they always ask you, are you ready? And they'll just put the shin pads on. They might not have done a single jog or anything. They'll say, yeah. So they come on the pitch. Roberto's the, the exact opposite. He tells you when you're ready to come on. So with Roberto, he'd go and do the warm ups and all that stuff. And if you came and sat down and he was unhappy, he'd send you back out again. It's never a case of, are you ready? Go and do that again. So Carlson, I think, had been out for a warm up, spent ages out there doing it, came back in. And I think Roberto said to him, you need to go and warm up. I'm going to bring you on. Carl said, no, I'm ready. But to Roberto, that's like a challenge because Roberto will tell you when you're ready. You don't tell him when you're ready. It's almost like this, you're like insubordinate or whatever. Yeah. Like how dare Undermining you, him. Almost, yeah. How yeah. dare you tell me that you're ready? But Carlos was ready because he's just done a 20 minute warm up. But Roberto's like, no, you're not. So then it's that sort of like awkward, not a standoff as such, but Roberto didn't, at that time anyway, he didn't like people going against what he thought was right. So all of a sudden the game happens. And if you remember, after the game in an interview, the interviewer never asked him a question about Tevez. Roberto threw the information about Tevez, threw it straight out there. And as a consequence, that's him creating, setting the tone and narrative. Mm. And it's the biggest distraction because they got battered in that game. Mm. They got battered in the Champions League. But that wasn't the talking point because the talking point was instead one of the big stars. It was supposed to be something else. And to talk to Roberto again, we were playing against Burnley and we were falling up away from home at halftime. I remember coming into the dress room at halftime and like, listen, being falling up away from home in the Premiership is like, it's rare, like this incredible feeling. And Roberto wasn't happy. And he turned to me and said, what were you doing on that free kick at the end? I was like, I don't understand what you mean. Because he's very particular about set pieces. And I was in the right place, but I think Craig Bellamy wasn't. So a chance came from it and it led to nothing. And he started having a go at me in front of everyone. But I was exactly where he told me to be. And I said, no, no, I was in the right spot. I was in the right spot. So he stopped talking for a second. Then rest of half time happened. Then he pulled me to the side and said, don't ever speak back to me again. Never played a game from that point. Wow. So do you think he had a bit of a power dynamic? He's the boss. Right. Listen, he's the boss. And he's like some other Italian managers I've seen whereby they have a very certain philosophy and they do not budge from it. You can't talk them around to see in a different way. Like, this is what it is. This is the way to success. Don't even question it. Like, yeah. this is it. But yeah, I never understood. Yeah, well, yeah, it's weird. We're winning for another half time. Like, what? Just unnecessary. Mm. Weird. Like, Would he have done it with every with any player? Though? Nah, he did it with certain people, but I just didn't, I didn't get it. And for me, like I caused no trouble. Like, and I think a big difference between myself and other people who played for City around that time, like the people who played around that time were great professionals. Mm. I was a professional, but I was a Man City fan. Mm. Like not even like a part-time, I was like Man City fan. Yeah. So well, this hit me differently. Maybe you can shed more light on this because I'm, purely speculating here but it feels to me like we don't see much of Mancini involved with Manchester City now obviously he's had the job as the mm. Italy manager which will have taken the bulk of his focus over the last few years but it just feels that like you don't ever see him turning up back at the Etihad every now and mm. again for a this kind might of a, cause him one of the best moments yeah. a, a reunion whereas players like yourself yeah. and Micah and others who have been involved over the years do tend to come back and have a bit more of a parade yeah. about Yeah I'll tell you what the spin about that is 
I don't think you'd find many clubs who bring back previous managers who are still in work. Sure. And then also, he, I think when Aguero played his last game, there was like a, loads of video messages and Roberto's face came up on the big screen at the end of the game. And the crowd were going nuts for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's still a large proportion of the fan base that adore him. Of course. And for me, like, Forever, I, I I'm cool now. I'll be honest. You've never I, bumped into him or anything. Nah, nah no, I wish I did. Like I'm cool now. But when I was going through that stuff at City, I hated him like with a passion. Mm. But like I say, I'm I'm fine now. But he, something he has which I can never question is that he brought success to Man City. So that's it. That's the bottom line. Mm. So as a consequence, you can say whatever you want about a negative. But he's brought the biggest positive that set that helps set the tone mm. for what today looks like. You know what I mean? Were you, th- were you there when Balotelli was there? Yeah, I was. So yeah. what? What was his really? It was a strange like situation a- looking from the outside in yeah. because he was almost like the favorite <laughs> child at one point, and then he was out on the sidelines at another point, and he was desperate. For, he had the talent. Like whenever yeah. I watched him at Inter Milan, he had the talent yeah. to go all the way. What what was missing from his game and what like what was the dynamic between him and Mancini as well? Um, I think him and Mancini, it's like it was like a son to right, him, right. but like a son where he wants to be hard on him, but then will also like break his own sort of like character to be nice to him. Like if Mario was upset, he'd make sure Mario was okay. If I'm crying in the corner with flipping gunshot wounds, he just walked past <laughs> me. You know what I mean? But that's like that's fine for some. It's a, it's a son. For others, it's a stepson. But um, <laughs> He like they had a very unique relationship, but I think that's because Mario w- was his signing. You know what I mean? Okay. It's not like a club signing at all. Like mm. Mario was his signing, so there's a lot that rides upon that. You know what I mean? The more successful Mario is, the sort of more Mancini can say. You know, you need to let me do this more often. But then, in terms of Mario and success, relatively speaking, like he was still one of the most consequential players of that era, and he's adored by the City fans because he was different. But he was a 19 year old Italian with a maturity level at the time which was younger than his age Mm. coming into a team full of like seasoned professionals who were so driven and so specifically like thinking about winning a Premier League title and you understand the full sort of gravity of what that would mean Mm. you're looking at Gareth Barry's uh, Vincent Company's Nigel Deong's all this stuff Mario's great player but he's not them from a professional standpoint Milner's as well so I don't think it was as easy for him to fit in but Mario today is more like what those players were like then. If he would have been able to be more mature in that moment, I think he stays for longer. Yeah. And speaking, I spoke with Mario, I think it was like last year or the year before, and he said that's one of his biggest regrets that he left early because he looks back at the players that City signed in, like Aguero, Tevez and so on and so forth, and he sees how they're loved by the football club and he wishes that could have been him. Of all the years that he's played in places he's been, he regrets leaving City as early as he did in the way that he did. We've had this discussion on the podcast before of what counts as a club legend and who counts as a cult hero. And mm. I guess Mario falls into the cult Ultimate hero, cult hero yeah. Yeah. category, but doesn't But they'd, they'd always introduce him as a legend. Of course they would, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. And I think that's the big thing for City. Like, Sean Gold is a legend because the amount of goals he scored and the mm. thing he did against um, Gary Neville. <laughs> uh, Paul Dickoff's a legend because mm. he helped them get out Gillian. of the divisions and so yeah. on. But from that point, there aren't so many people that form legends until they come to the point where they start winning things. Sure. You know what I mean? Unless you played hundreds upon hundreds of games for the club, like some of the older guys did, you know, who were actual legends within themselves. It's all about that crossover. You know what I mean? If you lifted a trophy for Man City, your 
as consequential as anybody is within that era. So there is a there is a difference, and I hear it, I feel it, and you you're welcomed on both sides. But my memory, what I can talk about in terms of my biggest game, is like you know lose, getting knocked out by Hamburg in the quarterfinal, or doing a double over United in the league. Whereas the ones post that can talk about being at Wembley winning an FA Cup. Sure, yeah. It wasn't exactly expected of you in your era no, to you know, no, go no. for all the top trophies. No, not at all. And... But it's just the way it's the way football works. Like, yeah. and it's I'm I'm very much at ease with it, and I feel looking back really privileged to have said that I played for the team I supported for the years that I did. You know what I mean? Mm. Like home for me was the place which had always been home. Living in Manchester, going to play at the Etihad or Eastlands as it was called at the time before the takeover. That's like incredible. Even when I sit there now in the stands and I'm looking down at the field, it feels like I never played there because how would I be playing in front of 50,000 people on that pitch for this club? Well, yeah, I did do that and did that for many years as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about that Premier League title win for Manchester City in 2012. You've mentioned Mancini, you've mentioned Balotelli, and you've also mentioned how you weren't as much of a part of that as you would have liked. You moved on to Queen's Park Rangers in the January of 2012, and fate has a funny way of uh, working it's, itself out in football. It's, it's nonsense, honestly. You were on the pitch for QPR yeah. on that final day of the season when Manchester City beat you 3-2 with yes. the Balotelli, Aguero... 9320 yeah. moment which is obviously I still think the most you could have helped us out iconic goal in Come Premier on, League no. history the height of the Premier League yeah, it, it doesn't get any more that. dramatic than that how much of a head f- was that to uh, be on the pitch for QPR a few months after you'd left Man City yeah. and then for them to win the game in that fashion and to win the title at the place you've just described yeah so I as as a City fan, this is the thing again that plays into it. I never wanted to leave. There are players who are professional who just want to play and will go anywhere for it. But like, there's a thing about leaving the place where you feel most comfortable. And it, if I left, it wouldn't just change my playing career. It changed my life with my friends, family, you know what I mean? And I wasn't really, I didn't want to do that. But then when the case was coming up that I had to do that, and like transfers are so funny, you know what I mean? I didn't really want to go anywhere. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got a call, uh, QPR have put a bid in. And I was like, okay, good for you. They said, yeah, and we've <laughs> accepted it. I'm like, okay. So they said, well, you've got to go there tomorrow. I'm like, what? Okay. So then from the moment someone told me the bid's been accepted, two days later, I was at QPR's training ground. And I was like, this is nuts, yeah. 
And that, being a northerner, like a proper northerner, I don't really want to go down south either. Um, <laughs> Sympathise with no, you. Mate, my perception, of, my perception of London back then is very different to what it is now. I rate it now heavily. But down then, back then I just thought, yeah, you just travel down there to sit in traffic and have people fight and ignore <laughs> you. I was like, why do I want to do this? Um, but anyway, so I went down to QPR, training ground, shambles. Like the stadium wasn't in the best shape training pitches were like if it didn't rain for a few days it was like just sat it was just sand if it rained then it was just just puddles everywhere i was like what has happened here yeah training kit mythically bad playing kit shambles like why was the training kit so bad because it was a lotto and it didn't fit anyone <laughs> italian uh, when, I, when i look back italian when i look you sort of keep you out a documentary the four-year plan but they could have added a little flipping bonus with the fifth year which is the year i was there my <laughs> word man, what a mess but um it was very different let's say it's very different and i didn't feel a massive part of it as such because i was now playing with strangers whereas previously i'd been playing with them working with people for 10 years, sure. you know what I mean? Did any of those former City players help you though? Joey Barton was there, Sean Wright Phillips was there. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips, yeah, he was, um, he was a good one. Mark Hughes being there as manager was a big of reason course, why I yeah. went, yeah. Mm. Anyone else that you may have mentioned would probably have no benefit to anyone across their entire career, so I'm not going to speak <laughs> their name. But um, in regards to like being down there, you're making it, you're trying to adapt, but it's not your club anymore. And you need to, that feeling of having to learn how to fit in somewhere, especially mm. in a position where the team's not winning a lot of games. When when you're not winning a lot of games, like it's harder to play in front of your fans. It's harder to arrive at the training ground and just be like cheery and so on because things aren't going well. And the the, the talk was, you always heard like with things are going well, listen, you have to start playing well. If we go down, everyone's losing 50% of their salary, 50% of their salary. Staff will lose their jobs, this, that, and the other. Like, flipping heck, man. This is different to the place where they were trying to win a Premier League title. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but anyway, fate leads to me having the last game of the season against Man City. And it's in Manchester. So you went into that game. Did QPR at the time needed a win to stay? Nah, up? nah, nah, nah. So, <laughs> so when, I, when I do my punditry now, like, I always try and be sensible. But sounding sensible sounds boring. But the reason why I'm being sensible is because there are always different perspectives to the game of football. Mm -hmm. So we won our last five home games to stay up that season. It was against like Arsenal, Spurs, Stoke, like big teams, Swansea, whoever. Yeah, we just won five home games in a row. Like a lot of teams can't do that now. Don't do that now, even if they're towards the top or whatever. We lost all our away games, but we last home game was against Stoke, and Gibral Cisse scored in the 92nd minute to give us the lead, and that game was the game that put us into 17. So one place above the bottom three. If we didn't win that game, we would have been in the bottom three. And if we were in the bottom three, we were heading up to Manchester knowing we had to win. Yeah. Picture that mentality yeah. as a team that's in 18th, whatever, going to the Etihad to, to win when City, I think had dropped two points there all season. Yeah. But instead we had options now. There were things which could help us, things which might not, but we had it in our hands as such. And also... So this was the prime Stoke with Rory Delap, yeah. Oh my God, mate. Like <laughs> The towel like a missile Oh, no, <laughs> mate, if he could do it high, low, curve it left to right, right to left, whatever, play it into the wind. You used to see defenders kicking out for a, a for goal kick just yeah, in case. Mate, just corners, sure whatever you need. But <laughs> this is probably when, it, when I should have realised that things were going our way. So we scored that goal to make it 
two one or whatever it was, and we were, we were winning against Stoke. But then we had to defend for another couple of minutes. Stoke at this point were like mid table, and Stoke interesting. We're going to play us and Bolton. Bolton who were the other team who were down there competing to stay up. The lap had a throw in near probably ten yards into our half, but he had a shoulder injury. It was either him, it was him or Shorten had a shoulder injury. Tried to do a long throw. It went about ten yards. You lucky, that, lucky boys. Listen, mate. It's like it's like we're playing Russian roulette. Here we go. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, well, he let it go. Didn't work out. But anyway, so then we're then playing City, and going my first time playing against Man City. Yeah, I didn't know how to do it. Didn't know like how to greet people who was my friends, staff at the stadium who have been seeing for years. Like it's great. It's like it's great to see them again. Really good to see them again. But they're now rooting against me and my team. I'd never been to the away dressing room before. Didn't even know it was real. Like I saw a team <laughs> just appear in the tunnel. But now this is me going down there, going out onto the pitch to booze and cheers and stuff as a collective because they're all very driven to win a Premier League title. Absolute scandal of like a 90 minutes to the point where I didn't enjoy a single second of it. Uh, I had to learn how to celebrate goals City conceded for the first time and I had to do it twice because we took a 2-1 lead. Mm. Had to watch someone who you named earlier get sent off in the biggest game of the season. Joey Barton, um, who somehow capitulated in a space of 10 minutes. As far as decision-making goals, mate, I wouldn't recommend it. As a United um, fan, yeah, I know as well. You killed um, us off that day. <laughs> but one thing which I think gets skipped over from the perspective of someone that supports a football team, it's great until you've got your profession on the line. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to play in this game and let Man City win because fandom and support is great. But this is like, business, this, yeah. is my, this is my work. Mm. If we went down in that game, I might never be seen again in the Premier League or whatever. It affects everything. I'm not out there trying to lose a game of football. Like if City do, like as a supporter of a team, you'll support them for in the Premier League for 36 other games. I will not support this team that's playing against me because it's just weird. But people think, oh, you let them score, didn't you? You let them do this. Yeah, well, how do you feel about that when people say that QPR through the, the game? Pace, miles off the pace, mate. Most of the people that say that didn't actually watch the game itself. And their memory of Aguero's goal is basically him getting the ball rolled to him by Joe Hart and him just walking through the middle of the field and everyone's like, yeah, let's go. Go Sergio, go, go score this. Paddy Kenny should have done a bit better. Though. Paddy Kenny made 10 saves in the game. Well, let me read some of the stats. That's what I was going to do just off the back of what you said there. 15 shots on target for Man City. QPR had three and scored two goals. 19 block shots for Manchester City. No block shots for QPR. You're trying to say Kenny had a bad game. 19, He's had 15 no. shots on target. Come on, come on, 19 <laughs> corners body. for Manchester City. Zero for Queen's Park Rangers. Hey, it, it blows my mind that after all this time, people think one of the most corrupt games in football was Man City beating QPR at home <laughs> in the last game of the season. <laughs> and like, where, where are we? Where are we? You know what I mean? <laughs> just, just, think, just think about what you're saying. <laughs> City... We're trying to push, and I'll tell you for a fact, the atmosphere in that stadium was a mess. When they were losing, it was a mess. Because this is where the idea of typical City comes from, where they believe bad things will happen. And in that moment, bad things were happening when they should never have been happening. They shouldn't have been losing to us. They were cruising that season. They should not have been losing to us at all. At home, no way. Especially, we're down to 10 men, and they've got all the attackers in the world 
and they're not doing anything. And just before, so it goes 2-2, there's barely any time left or whatever. I think before when the third goal scored, I think there are two players on our team that know we're safe. But you won't be able to pick them out from watching the video because everyone's trying. And when that third goal goes into the net, you see people drop to the floor because we think we've just, like, equal opposites. The euphoria of winning the Premier League with the last kick of the season is the converse to getting relegated with the last kick of the season. And that's what the vast majority of us thought had just happened. So some of your teammates would have probably picked up cues from the crowd, I guess. Yeah, you yeah. it think it's Jamie Mackey and it's uh, Jay Boffroy. Sure. They're the only two. Yeah, the ones that are the furthest forward. Yeah. Who can the, actually receive information. The rest the of us. Is just mate, his life. I, so I had the throw-in. Um, I was the last QPR player to touch the ball before Aguero scored and I had a throw-in. And I tried to throw it to Jay Boffroy down the line and it never went. Yeah. <laughs> So now I know why he never went because he's fine, <laughs> but I didn't know. Um, but I, why? Why? This breaks my heart, you know. Uh, mate, I'm this run, breaks my mate, heart. I'm running back. I'm running back into position, and the ball never comes to my side. But as I'm doing it, it's like a horror movie, except it's me getting slashed. I'm like looking, thinking, please, someone tackle someone. Yeah. Someone tackle someone. Oh my god. Oh my god. Because the way football works, you know when something's your fault. People won't necessarily know it from the outside, but you know when something's your fault. Mm. And I thought I've just relegated my team with the last kick of the season at the place which I used to call home. But then in the end, after the goal goes in, like, like I was so caught up in the moment, the fact that we conceded. I didn't know who scored the goal for City and I was probably 10 metres away. I didn't know who did it. I just knew someone kicked the ball into the net. It just felt like a dagger getting just thrust into my heart, basically. Mm-hmm. And I thought we were going down. But then shortly after, when I look at the bench and look at QPR fans and everyone celebrating, they'd obviously kicked in like, I guess it didn't matter. And that's a very privileged position to be in where, like, in your career, a loss meant nothing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and Did you stay in goal. Manchester that night or did you go back to London? No, no. Listen, I'm distinctly northern, mate. As soon as the game was um, was done, I said <laughs> congratulations to some of my friends on the City team. Yeah. Congrat- congrat- well, didn't congratulate, but we were relieved in our dressing room, barring one person who you've named before who said we were disgraced for celebrating staying up, but like a perspective, as per. Um, and... As City were trying to do the trophy lift, I left the stadium because my house is 10 minutes away from the stadium still. Beat that traffic. Mate, I thought I'm getting ahead of this. <laughs> but unfortunately, my fam- my family were trapped in the away section, so oh. they couldn't come out to see me. So next thing, I'm standing outside the stadium, like, where is everyone? Yeah. And then the City fans start coming out, and like, ah, we did it, we did it. I'm like, yeah, we stayed up, man, we did it. It wasn't yeah. like that meme <laughs> of that guy in the suit walking into the dressing room, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> Big psychological difference between the two sides that day is that for QPR, we had beers for City, they had champagne. But the fact is, like, in the end, it's a job well done, and you work very hard to get the chance to finish the season. If you finish it how you want it to finish, then... Still lose rem free in my mind, seeing Drew Brill say celebrate with Sammy and Nazri at the end. Yeah. Kills me, though. Yeah, Kills man. me. But let's put, let's put it down to this, like... It was on goal difference, that, wasn't it? Yeah. The whole season. Yes. So things which I've heard in time, Sir Alex Ferguson, one of his biggest regrets was the fact that the game wasn't shot off in the 6-1 that season. I think that was the year, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. And then also, I remember Mancini at the start of the season saying this could come down to goal difference. And he was adamant that as a consequence, you have to take your training stuff seriously because a goal might make the difference. It was an eight goal swing in the end. Yeah. But I mean, you can always look back across the season and pick out moments, can't you? We always do this with our guests. We have a feature called Web of Lies, where we've gone through the internet and we found some interesting facts about you. And it's up to you to tell us whether they're true or whether they're lies. Okay. The first one is, 
Nader Manua holds a youth record for the triple jump. Standing triple jump, sports athletics, true. Still to this day. And that's basically just triple jump without running up, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's like because <laughs> it's indoor. They do a few things like that because it's like a standing long jump as well. And there's other like distance things you do. But I was in, I do track and field now. And some people were in the track one time and they were getting ready for an indoor track event or sports hall track event. And they showed the records and I'm still there, number one. Yeah. Don't listen, don't let's talk about it though. Yeah, it's very <laughs> true. So it's also 11 seconds, 100 meters. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. That's gas. That's fact. Two seconds off. Bolt. Let me add some more context to that as well. So I ran my first master's race a couple of days ago. And I'm still in the 11 second uh, range at 36. 11 seconds. Oh, Jesus. Wait. I said 11 second range for the record, but yeah, I'm still there. So you're as fast now as you were when you were 16? No. So my record is when I was 14, I ran 11.09. Yeah. Christ. When I was 15, I was 11.1. I think I would have broken 11, but it was hand timed. But then from, I went into the youth team a year early. So I didn't get the chance to keep doing athletics past the age of 15. But I ran 11.6 the other day, and I think I'm going to go quicker as well. That's mad. Are you yeah. training or anything? Yeah. He's That's training. me, man. That's me. It's, it's the same way people do Leg like press. 5Ks and 10Ks and all that stuff. Like I do my track and field. So what? You're not, you're not just running. Are you doing like javelins, chop puts, nah, hammer I might, throws, discus? I might stretch it to a long jump, but for now, just 100 <laughs> metres, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, that's uh, that's true. It's standing triple jump, though. Standing triple make jump. Sure we get that but it's very accurate. true. It's very true, my friend. Obviously, when you left uh, QPR, you yeah, ended no, up... No, even laugh. No I, sniggering in the background. Are you, are you sure it's people true. are attempting this? How's it's it very like standing true. for so long? Every year it's gone on, and I'm still there. Maybe I was just elite. I tell you what, when you leave, we'll do a standing triple jump between Listen, us. When you see when you see the distance, nah, you're gonna struggle, mate. What is it? How many meters? It's seven meters something. Seven, seven meters something. Oh, no, it would have been more than that. Probably eight or nine. But I was fourteen. This is the thing you have to realize. It's age group. It's like two How pe- tall two Peter Crouches. You must have been. Yeah, I was, I was just athletic. You know what I mean? Just Jesus gifted. <laughs> well, if you what, see what, someone running past your window at the speed of light, yeah, it's probably yeah, that's yeah. So basically, well, we'll we'll try the standing long jump. I'll turn my ankle and then him can sprint me to the nearest hospital. Listen, without in 11 doubt, seconds I've got you. I've got you. I reckon <laughs> 10 meters is all three of this us. This is leg triple down. jump, triple jump, triple jump, triple jump. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah triple yeah, jump. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you'd have to stand on us, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Next one, obviously, when you left QPR, you ended up playing in the MLS for Real Salt Lake. Zlatan Ibrahimovic once told Nader Manua that he will deliberately try to injure him. It's true. Um, ah, man, he's so interesting because, like, his career in terms of success, yeah, I'd love it. Some of these sound bites hate him with a passion, yeah. And then in the game we played, it was my first time playing against him. For 45 minutes, he was sound, no dramas. And then he's just, what he does if he's not playing well, he likes to start fights with people. So he chose me that day. Gets himself riled up. Yeah, to help yeah. Himself. But with the MLS, most people, when he starts fight, he just they just back down. But I was not backing down. So I uh, I politely told him um, to get to, uh, yeah, anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I gave him some of that. And then we, fin- we played the second half where we were head to head. And every time he did something bad, I was laughing in his face. But every time I did, he was doing the same to me. And if you want to see the definition of awkward, so he doesn't do a lot of movement from corners and stuff and I was supposed to be marking him so we're beefing in the game and then a corner's coming in and he's just standing there and I'm just standing there marking each other just like okay <laughs> not even watching the ball not even looking at each other just like no jostling nothing just standing there next to each other like this is so awkward then after the game he uh, came into our dressing room like two minutes after and that's like a cardinal sin you never do that 
and he came in and started saying to me, have, you, have I calmed down yet? Um, and this is a guy who I don't know. So as you can imagine, I wasn't calm. So I ran towards him and told him again, could you please politely leave the uh, dressing room? In uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's the PG version. But yeah, I, I left a bit on him. But in fairness to him, the next time we played, he was actually sound, which was weird because I was ready for war. Do you think that you earned his respect I think so, from yeah. the way that you dealt with that situation? I think so, yeah. Because he knew I was different because a lot of them, they're like stargazing. Like when... In, I say, in England, like City, you know, they've won the Premier League title and whatever. If they go and play against a team in like the fifth tier, if City are respectful, they'll have a good game against the other side, probably win and shake hands and move on. But if City are like chatting loads or get mouthy in the game, the team in the fifth tier is going to kick every single City player because they're going to stick up for their teammates. Whereas in the MLS, they don't really do that because they're more so concerned by the stars. So Zlatan can say what he said and there's no drama. But if someone else was, that's there's a reason why nobody speaks like him in the big leagues, because ultimately like you bring more drama to your team and everyone would be after you and put a target on your back. But for him, he can do whatever he wants. When he said that he was going to injure you, what did he say he was going to do? Like, did he say I gonna... think he said he was going to break my leg. I said, right then, try it. Sheesh. It's a, you know, it's a weird feel as well to be thinking, is he going to try and break my leg? <laughs> just kind of watching yourself a little bit. <laughs> like, ah, keep, keep the arms like It just made me think about it, yeah. <laughs> is he not a black belt in... Yeah, the, mate. When, when, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah, when uh, after the issue was done after the game and all that stuff, I was kept looking back thinking, okay, so he's 6'4". It's a black belt. He probably could have kicked my head off. But, you know, <laughs> it didn't come that, to that. Yeah, <laughs> once I was forward, like, one foot forward means the next one's following. you got 40,000 witnesses anyway. Yeah, mate, right. yeah, mate, exactly. <laughs> Latin, what a character. Exactly. Uh, final one, Nadem. Jurgen Klopp once asked Nadem Anu if he had ever played football. Yes, he did. <laughs> what? This is true. Um, I think I remember this. So I work for ESPN and the shows ESPN FC, I love it. It's brilliant. Like, it's so much fun, good group of people. It's lighthearted. That's the key thing. It's lighthearted. We talk the shows on every day, but it's, it's class, yeah. And we go to certain games and they tend to cover the League Cup, FA Cup and community shield stuff like that so in this league cup game I was now at Anfield for Liverpool versus uh, Wolves I think it was but the host or the person who's usually pitched out of me the reporter she wasn't there this time so it was just me and the cameraman but after the game we had flash so we had to go and speak to someone and so I'm standing aside at Anfield it's my first time going to Anfield not playing so it's weird like it's a weird experience just being there in general and then one of the floor runners come and say oh you've got Klopp after the game I was like you know what I mean? So I'm interviewing him. He says, yeah, you've got Klopp after the game. Like, okay, nice. So I'm watching the game, always thinking in the back of my mind, what do I want to ask him? Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, and it was a bad game for them. They were quite bad against Wolves or whatever. It's a bit toxic in the stadium. All this. It was when it was subprime Liverpool this season. And then the time comes and I'm now immediately caught because I know the cliche questions to ask, but then I know the questions that I want to ask because I think the value of bringing in someone who's played the game or done the game. Different perspective. Different yeah. perspective and insight. Like I can get Klopp to talk about something which is different to oh, game of two hours, all that type of nonsense. Like get them to talk about something that they're passionate about. So he answered one of my questions and he said something within it, which I wanted to like latch onto. And it was about sort of losing battles. So I tried to get him to expand on that. What does that mean? Like, why do you think that is? And he started off by saying, I don't know if you played football before and started <laughs> answering it. But it wasn't like in an insulting way because he doesn't know me. I don't expect him to know me, but he started answering it. And if he knew that I would have played, then he would have answered it properly. But he teed that up. And as it was going on, because it's for the FC show, 
I thought that's hilarious because I'm going to get roasted on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and the cameraman was buzzing as well. So when it was over, he was like, oh, that was brilliant. Wasn't it? I was like, yeah, it was cool, it was cool, it was cool, it was cool. So the shit went out on the show. I got battered on the show, yeah, battered, yeah. But then you then saw the split when it went viral because first the ESPN FC ran it and took the out of me, which I really enjoyed because it's funny. And um, you now find the people that like Klopp and those that don't because the ones that don't like Klopp were saying he's so disrespectful. Why does he not know who you are? And the ones that like Klopp says, why should you know who you are? You're nobody in particular. <laughs> but I think I won overall because imagine how bad it would have been if I said to him, yo, I'm just going to stop you there, Jürgen. I used what to play I 188 times. Yeah, I played 188 <laughs> times in the Premier League. I scored, at, scored at this place. I did this and I did that and did whatever. They'd be like, what an absolute weirdo. Yeah, you like a tall one. Yeah, so that's you what look we, like the then, don't Yeah, you? exactly. So I think I, I think I managed that well. And like, I thought it was funny. And then interesting, the next time I saw him, because I had to do the replay, he was like apologising to me. I was like, why are you apologising to me? Like, I'm no one in particular. You know what I mean? But they felt like it was a big deal he apologised, said, oh, you don't know my career. And it turns out I do, Jürgen, because they had a comparison on ESPN between my career and Jürgen Klopp. <laughs> Yours came out on top. Yours and came it, out on top. And it, uh, just about came out on top, mate. <laughs> but it, was, it was good fun, but he did say that. Oh, brilliant. And yeah, I've got, I've got, annoyingly, like, I've got a lot of time for him in the way that he answers the questions because I could have pictured myself playing for him. But as a blue, and in fairness, the second time I spoke to him, was giving really good answers. And off the back of the fact you knew I played football now, I was going to give him a compliment at the end, but I said, tell you what, I can't do that because I live in Manchester and both teams here detest Liverpool. So <laughs> can't make compliments to no, the so Thank you very much, no Take care. All the ah. best for the season. Well, that is true, which means we've got a hat trick of truths on Web of Lies, uh, which doesn't happen too often. It's been great to have you in, Nadim. Appreciate you giving up your time. Really excited to hear what happens next on the official Manchester City podcast. Just finally, which charity have you chosen for uh, I'd love it if you donated to the Christie, please. I think it's a very, very important charity in general, especially here in Manchester. Like my mum was there before she passed and lots of other people in my sort of orbit as well. So anything going towards that cause. Football Social Daily. It was great to hear from Nader Manua. What a really interesting guy he is. And thanks to him for giving up some of his time out of what's a really busy schedule, doing loads of podcasts, as you've already heard and plenty of punditry too. But we will donate to the Christie, which was his charity of choice. Don't forget you can hear some of our other interviews with former Premier League players such as Pascal Chimbonda, Wes Brown, Danny Simpson, Trevor Stephen, Jeremy and more just by scrolling back in the timeline or search FSD interviews in the search bar of your preferred podcast provider and that way a whole list of them will come up of those people we've spoken to throughout the course of the season. This will by no means be the last interview with a former Premier League player that we bring you. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss the next one. We've got some big things planned for next season. But from us for now on Football Social Daily, that's it. And we'll catch you again soon. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.